Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for the last 10 years, and even after all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices on our network. Each week, I record my show in the recycled shipping containers that make up the HRN studio, because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the fascinating stories of my guests. All of us here at HRN are on the air because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Can you believe that? 10 years. But we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love for my show by selecting Feast Your Ears in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks so much for listening to HRN. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes of Feast Your Ears can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm super thankful for listeners like you, and I would love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. You just heard me, a recorded version of me from a few weeks ago, uh, talking about how it is Heritage Radio's 10th anniversary, and we are in the middle of our giant 10th anniversary summer fund drive. And I just want to let everybody know there's some really awesome new member gifts. So if you pledge at the $60 level, you get a limited edition enamel pin. If you pledge at the $120 level, you get a limited edition pizza pocket t-shirt. At the $250 level, you get a limited edition deluxe bonbon box from Fine and Raw Chocolate, whose factory is right around the corner here from our studio in Bushwick. And at the $500 level, you get the new Chef's Choice Spice Collection from Burlap and Barrel. Ethan Frisch of Burlap and Barrel was on this show uh, last season, and so hopefully you'll tune in and check that out. But his spices are really, really incredible at Burlap and Barrel. Today, today's theme, what is hospitality? Um, I have with me, joining me in the studio today, Benji and Nick from In-House. In-House is a, uh, a member platform. We'll hear a little bit more from them about how it works, but basically connecting people who like to dine in restaurants with those restaurants so that everybody's experience can be better in terms of that. Thanks, guys, for coming into the studio. Thanks very much Thank for you. having us. So uh, I guess tell me a little bit about in-house um, and how it works. Uh, Benji, you used to work at Nomad, correct? We both worked You both worked. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's how we met. met. Yeah. Got yeah. it. So you guys worked at Nomad. You were in the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. and then you left to start in-house. Correct. Well, we actually started in-house at Nomad. Aha, uh-huh, in-house. Yeah. At Nomad. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so in-house really started as a guest relations project at Nomad. Uh, we weren't trying to start a business. I don't think we really knew what that even meant back then. <laughs> um, but the idea was uh, I was the head maitre d' and then director of guest relations at the Nomad. Nick was a dining room manager there. Got it. And uh, Nomad, I hope you've had a chance to get over I there have. once or yeah, twice. Yeah. Um, Nomad's a, a big property. It's kind of a, a labyrinth of different rooms, and, and it's uh, an exciting place. And when we first started, the, the restaurant and the hotel opened in 2012, it was an enormous team, 300 hourly staff and a management team just on the food and beverage side of sort of 20 plus, which is unusual. It's massive. Um, it's massive. Yeah. Um, and Will and Chef Daniel, uh, you know, really um, 
wanted to invest the time and resources into uh, you know strong senior leadership and strong sure. stre- uh, senior management. And so what that meant is in my role, sort of over, overseeing guest relations, uh, I was really afforded the space and the time and the opportunity to hone in on that. You know, typically what you find in a restaurant, you know, it's a small management team and every manager is wearing multiple different hats, right? right? So the AGM is also the guest relations manager, is also the breakfast manager and is also, you know, sort of running the porter team. You know, whereas here we were fortunate we had uh, uh, people who were afforded the space to sort of specialize in. And so I was just sort of spending a lot of time thinking about guest relations all the time. And one thing that, um, that sort of occurred to me in those early years was uh, we all talk about regulars. Uh, regulars were our favorite people to welcome into the restaurant. Um, we were a young restaurant. We were very fortunate to begin to build res- regulars in those first few years. But it seemed crazy that our relationships with those regulars sort of ended at the four walls of the restaurant. Mm. And it also seemed crazy that there were so many other sort of fantastic restaurants around town that had been around for years and years and years that had these great communities of sort of friends and family and regulars sure. who you know, undoubtedly were coming in to visit us because, you know, if you're a huge regular at Gramsci Tavern, you're going to make it over to Nomad at some point, right? <laughs> sure. We're 10 minutes up the street, um, you know, similar culture, uh, yep. similar experience. And we were back then sort of doing things like Googling guests and pulling information off LinkedIn sure. I and mean, all these in, bits and pieces, right? In setting the table, Danny Meyer writes about how they used to do that even much further back. Exactly, in the day at, at exactly. Square Hospitality Group, right? I mean, they would keep notes. Yeah. Right. And pass notes from manager to manager about this guest and when their birthday was and things like that, even if it whether it was something that was mentioned on the phone or not. Right. right. When the reservation was made. Right. And so we had that culture built in. But I, I could there was no way for me to know if you were a 10 year regular at Gramsci Tavern. So I could sure. keep notes in my restaurant and I could uh, look you up online and pull your wedding announcement from the paper or pull what you did from your LinkedIn or whatever it might be. But I don't know that you go to GT every Tuesday at lunch, you sit at P1 at the bar, right. you know the team and so on and so forth. So I thought we could all benefit from sort of better communication. So we started sure. a little uh, pilot program and in the beginning it was 13 restaurants and I asked each restaurant to invite five of their favorite regulars. So not their investors or their biggest spenders, but people that they loved seeing in their restaurant. Yeah. And if you're part of the family at Gramsci Tavern, we wanted you to be part of our extended family at Nomad. And the same at Charlie Bird and the same at Blue Hill and the same at Fedora and so on. And we put this little program together. And it was really just with the idea of all boats rising with the tide. Yeah. Um, But I think it's an interesting reflection also of restaurant culture in general over the last, say, 15, 20 years where... 20 years ago, you might have chefs who are very protective of their sources. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They, oh, I get scallops from this guy, but I can't tell you who he is because I want to make sure that the, I, we only have those in my restaurant. And I think now we're in a position where chefs share that stuff really freely. Yeah. yeah. They, you know, oh, where'd you get that great ham? Oh, let me hook you up with the producer. Oh, where'd you get the, you know, where did the shallots come from this? Oh, let me hook you up with this. Or this is this varietal. You should have your farm grow that for me. I feel like there's a lot more sharing. And it's very interesting to hear about that trickling, I guess, into the management and customer relations side of things as well. I don't think you can avoid it. Yeah. I think we're at a point right now where, first of all, um, uh, you know, dining culture, this is a term that, that we really enjoy using sort of in the context of uh, the space that we're playing in. But dining culture is as involved as it's ever been. And um, people are as educated as they've ever been on both sides, right? Both on the operator side and on the diner side. Yeah. And so if you're an engaged diner in New York, chances are you're eating at all these different restaurants constantly. And if you're engaged in the industry, then chances are you have friends and colleagues and uh, 
uh, you know, know tons of different people working in different restaurants. And so it seems sort of unhelpful and unnecessary to be protective or paranoid and mm. to not be more collaborative um, and to not be invested in someone else's success. Because this was a joke that we used to say at Nomad, which is, you know, if we could have anyone in our seats on any given night, we'd love to have our regulars. Um, but if we can't have our regulars, what about someone else's regulars on their night off? Yeah. Right? And it wasn't about stealing regulars. It was no, just, course. you can't eat at Gramsci Tavern, you know, 21 times a week. <laughs> so at some point, you need a different meal. And so yeah. come visit us. But to speak to your point, I think when we were first pitching uh, the concept to a few restaurants, we definitely received a bit of pushback with restaurateurs or managers saying that, well, we don't want to lose our regulars and what are we going to do? And we had to you know, really, really educate them in the sense that, well, you're going to gain a whole host of other regulars. Yeah. 10 times over from from everywhere everywhere else in the city so yeah so tell me a little bit about how the platform works so it's it's membership based right it so is, yeah. people need to apply yeah. at the moment i mean i don't yeah. know i'm curious to hear about what plans are for expansion right now you're in 60 restaurants between new york and london correct yeah and uh do both restaurants and i guess consumers or diners need to apply or how does it work so on the on the member side, uh, historically you had to be invited by one of the restaurant teams that we work. Yeah, with. I noticed that on your site, which yeah. I thought was very interesting. But I guess that really speaks to this idea that these people really are regulars. Exactly. That they are someone who that restaurant has sat dozens of times and knows and knows how they act, how they are. Correct. You know what they. Yeah, are. and also it's about bringing in um, a community of people who want to be active uh, citizens in this community. Sure. Right. And it's not just about uh, you know. Uh, access or about status you know we we've long said that you know um we we, we've banned the c word from our from our company right we're not a concierge um we don't use words like vip we don't use you know for us um we feel very fortunate to be uh, members of a broader industry family in the city and i think you know you know what that means sure and we want to include great regulars, great ambassadors, great patrons of the industry in that. So it's more about welcoming in great diners as sort of honorary industry yeah. than it is, well, you're a VIP over here, so now you're a VIP over there. We do. Right. That's not the sort of language that we use. Right. Um, we've since allowed, as we've grown, we've since allowed people to apply. Yeah. We still ask for a restaurant sponsor as part of their application. And again, that's our way of just getting a reference, yeah. um, which has been fantastic. And now as we're sort of growing, we're exploring some other sort of um, opportunities for expanding uh, the reach and diversity of, of membership. And then on the restaurant side, historically, Nick and I have sort of um, put together our sort of shortlist. Um, and we've been very fortunate that we have had a number of restaurateurs approach us sort of as we've grown. Um, and, and we have a sort of a loose criteria at the moment. It's um, uh, you know, it's a combination of a few different factors, but really we're looking to work with teams who um, share a similar hospitality ethos, um, who enjoy working alongside and with and for the benefit of others in the industry. You know, they want to be included and involved in that, in that uh, space. And then teams who are uh, creatively ambitious and intentional. You know, there are plenty of very successful, very commercially successful restaurants in the city that aren't really the right fit for us because yeah. they're in it, they're just... Printing money, you know, and that's great for them and, and fantastic for them. But we want to work with teams who are excited to be involved in this broader sort of mm -hmm. dining culture and who want to collaborate with others and sure. who want to be doing fun things. We've been fortunate, I think, that our network has grown quite organically. You know, there has been um, 
there's been a lot of people that have reached out to us saying that they want to be a part of it or we've had former managers or owners that have opened a you know new new spot and they want to reach out to us and continue the relationship so we've been very fortunate yeah today. when when um, Joe Campanale uh, opened Fausto you know yeah. we'd worked with his team at Latuzzi sure and so you know he gave us a call and said hey I'd love for Fausto be, to be involved in in-house because for him I think it was an op- I don't want to put words in his mouth right for him I think it was an opportunity to stay connected you know with uh, a world that he'd already been involved with from a different angle right um it was an opportunity to help welcome in a great audience of uh diners and regulars into his new restaurant uh, alongside industry um and we feel very proud to be to have been able to sort of support his team and uh to be sort of champions of everything that he's doing as yeah. well now i'm sure i have listeners who you know understand what it is to get good service versus mm. not great service in a restaurant um from the hospitality side what is it like what should people keep in mind as they're dining in a restaurant because i i would imagine that a lot of people who aren't part of the industry don't think about that they you know they think that you go to a restaurant and you know all of the all of the verbiage right is about you are the patron you are being served mm. uh you know all of this stuff mm-hmm. where it's sort of centered around and not that it's not centered around the diner but as a diner what are things that make you a good diner to be a regular versus someone who the restaurant's like yeah of course you're welcome here anytime it's open to the public but maybe you're not going to be a regular in that sense. I think I have a, a couple of things I'd say to that. And then uh, I'm sure Nick has a few thoughts too. Yeah. The first is we'd like to say that um, uh, service is black and white and hospitality is color. Mm. Um, and I think that speaks to whether you're um, giving it, uh, giving hospitality and service or whether you're receiving hospitality and service. I think the second thing is that um, everyone knows what it means to feel like a regular, right? I'm a regular at my dry cleaners. I'm a regular where I get sure. my coffee in the morning. Yep. I'm a regular where I get my haircut. There's no better feeling than being a regular. Um, and what what I think consumers need to understand, whether it's in retail or whether it's in uh, hospitality, is there's no better feeling than having a regular in your shop or in your restaurant yeah. or in your bar. Um, you know, suddenly Nick and I, for the bulk of our careers, have worked on the floor of restaurants. And, you know, that's how this whole thing sort of came together. And we used to love seeing uh, seeing our friends and our regulars and, and industry sort of come into the restaurant. I think um, uh, one of the things that we've really enjoyed doing with in-house when we do events is we bring together um, industry leaders that we work with around the city and members. And we always try and do it in a, um, in a sort of informal social setting. So if we do a wine tasting, we'll invite a few sommeliers and we'll invite some members and everyone drinks together. It's not sort of this overly formal, well, monsieur, would you care to, uh, you know, have a little taste? You know, it's, <laughs> sure. it's, it's like friends getting together. No, I, and I love um, that. I, I noted that in one of, your, uh, one of your interviews, you guys mentioned that. And I love the idea of kind of changing that relationship and making it one that is more familial. Mm-hmm. And making it one where you sit down next to the sommelier who, you know, is the one who's choosing the wine for the restaurant. But you as the person who is a regular diner in the mm-hmm. restaurant, like you have opinions about the wine. You guys can talk about the wine. It's not, you know, and it gives you that opportunity where you may not have that opportunity in the dining room. Right. Because if you have a full dining room on a Saturday at 8 p.m. It's not like you can spend a lot of time with yeah, this. Right. But I think, you know, we also, one of, the, one of the things we like to sort of talk about with 
different sort of industry teams is is this notion of sort of human hospitality. Mm. And I think you're seeing a shift, you know, away from, and we're not the first to sort of say this, right? Sure. But you've absolutely seen a shift away from formal white tablecloth, tuxedo yeah. uh, dining rooms towards this more sort of human um, side. And one thing that we used to like to talk about with our team at Nomad was this idea that on different circumstances, the people who are sitting down as your guests in the restaurant are people that you would have a very different social relationship with. So I used to sure. be at the door and I would sort of encourage my 21-year-old NYU hostesses who were there sort of for a few shifts and a week that, hey, this couple coming through, they could very easily be the parents of your roommate, your NYU roommate. Right. Or, or this young couple coming through, they could very well be your sister's best friend from back home. Don't, don't think about people in terms of guests and servers. Right. You know, let's understand that you know, if you were to meet these people in the street, you'd have a very different conversation. Yeah. And I think that immediately relaxes people. And I think I would say I would encourage diners to, and guests to think in the same way. I think, right. I think that has changed as well quite a bit recently. And consumers and diners especially used to greater restaurant. Oh, they would say that uh, a great service at a restaurant was how quickly you got your drinks or what the weight was between your first course and your main course. But now I, you know, I'm glad to say that it's, it's shifted more towards you know, how, how human they were, how natural they were, how unique and, um, I guess, tailored the experience was. Yeah. And how welcomed you were made to feel in exactly. the space, right? Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, I, I personally, I've had a couple of meals in places where they require a suit jacket, right. but I personally hate eating in a suit jacket. Right. I've Absolutely. never enjoyed it ever. Every wedding I've ever been to, I always take even my own. I took my jacket off and hung it on the chair. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's just not comfortable. Yeah. And I always thought it was weird when you go to a place where that's required uh -huh. because it immediately made me uncomfortable. Right. And I was sort of like, well, this is weird, right? I mean, I'm not going to like, you know, wear a sweaty tank top and like, you know, no shoes, but like I don't want right. to wear a jacket at dinner. Why is that such a big deal? I had a wonderful experience the other night. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, uh, I guess maybe it'll sound like a shill, but it's not meant to be. Yeah. Uh, I went to Coat. I don't know if they were yeah. part of in-house. Um, and had just a wonderful experience. I had, yeah. you know, someone invited me to go with them, had no preconceptions. I'd met Simon Kim once, yeah. um, you know, nothing. We walked in the door and we were treated impeccably, but we were treated like we were friends. Right. Our table wasn't ready. We had a very congenial, you know, kind of like chat with Did you go manager. downstairs and have a drink? We uh, didn't. We had a drink just at the bar, at the bar inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there were like four spots right at the edge of the bar. Yeah. I mean, just had a wonderful time and had a great rapport. And everyone, the thing that I took away from it also was that the staff seemed to be having a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what I think they've done very interestingly there is, and I'm sure you experienced it, is the way that the staff will run the grill at your table. Yeah. And... You know, we've heard, and I think Simon's uh, sort of been interviewed on this before, but that was very intentional mm. in that he wanted that to not only be sort of a bridge between the kitchen and the dining room and, the, yep. and their relationship and a mutual appreciation for each other that everyone's involved in the same experience, um, but also it forces the team to sort of be that much more engaged in the dining experience because this is one of the, one of the other things that sort of isn't really spoken about, right? Which is, you know, often your interaction with a, uh, with a server at your table is sort of beginning and end there isn't really a hell of a lot in the <laughs> sure, middle right yeah and so it can be a bit contrived to try and leave the place you know as best buds yeah. um, and i think some places go too far to try and uh, establish this relationship that 
doesn't organically form within sort of five minutes of interaction at the beginning and five at the end. Um, and so I think code does feel sort of uh, more like you're on a journey together. Right. So so using that as an example, let's say I was a member of in-house yeah. and I decided I wanted to eat at Coat. Well, I should I, I should say that when Coat is not an in-house restaurant. Oh, they're the moment, not. Well, they should be. They should be. They yeah. should be. I know. Simon, <laughs> yeah, Simon need, if you're Simon, listening. Please. Yeah, you, know. you should um, be. Well, let, let's say that I was a member yeah. and I wanted a table at Nomad. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, would I just call the reservation line at Nomad and say, hey, I'm a member of in-house? Or would I go through in-house? How does it work? No, so it all comes through us. Okay. So we have a, uh, a member app because, of course, we do. It's 2019. Yeah. Um, uh, but we also um, text and email with our members a lot as well because, you know, I don't always want to have to log into an app just to sure. have a conversation with someone. Um, we... Uh, we have sort of a, a, a range of relationships with our different partner restaurants. We only want to work with restaurants that are excited to work with us and excited to welcome in our members. Um, we're very fortunate in that we have a 95% success rate for bookings up to 24 hours out. Hmm. Um, and access, you know, is sort of the boring logistical side, but it's sort of a very practical side for sure. members or for industry. Um, and so we're very happy to help with that. But really what's exciting for us is... Uh, helping influence the experience as well. So we pass along dining profile information to um, the restaurants, but more than just passing along, you know, uh, as, as uh, you were so kind today to, uh, to bring us some coffees, you know, more than sort of passing along some of those bits and pieces, it's really about making the introduction. So we'll share, you know, names of maitre d's and managers and sommeliers, and we'll also make sure that that's uh, flagged with the restaurant. And again, it's not about rolling out the red carpet yeah. as much it is, you know, if my brother were to go to Nomad when I was working there and I wasn't working there, you know, I'd say, Nick, can you stop by and say hi to my brother? Right. You know, and it's not send him all sorts of bits and pieces yeah. and comp his meal and whatever. It's just, hey, can we can we connect those dots to use a, a Danny term, right? Yeah. Um, and, and there it's really uh, fantastic just sort of seeing, again, um, more authentic relationships develop between... Um, an audience of people who really care about the people behind the places as much as they care about food and uh, food and wine and dining experiences, and managers and staff who are really excited to welcome in people who are excited to be in their spaces. Awesome. We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. And when we come back, I would love to uh, hear from you guys about some formative hospitality experiences that you've had. Cool. Cool. Great. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com.
Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and if you're just tuning in, my guests today are Benji Leibowitz and Nick Muchel. Did I pronounce that right, Nick? That's correct. Uh, from In-House. Um, In-House is a platform that connects restaurants and diners who want to be, I guess, regulars in each other's lives. Um, you can find out more at inhousenewyork.com. Um, and before the break, we were talking about kind of how in-house works. Um, I think we got that pretty well covered. But I would love to hear from uh, each of you about any formative hospitality experiences. When I was 20, I was 20. My best friend was turning 21. And we went to a restaurant that's now gone uh, called Sign of the Dove. Mm-hmm. And his uncle was the chef. And I remember we went there. It was there were four of us. It was his parents and the two of us. And I just it was like one of the very first like really fine dining experiences that I'd ever had. But I remember feeling the what you guys like feeling like we were family, which we were. But I remember that being you know at, at the time it was like oh that's really cool. But it didn't really quite strike me as why because I you know I was twenty one. I was a little mm-hmm. young I think to mm-hmm. to understand it. But definitely you know that meal is very like strong in my mind. Do you have one? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. My, um, my father's a chef, so I've been involved in the food world for all my life, and we're a food-obsessed family. Um, and I've got memories of spending Christmas, New Year's at my father's restaurant mm. because he was always working. Sure. So there was this ritual every year of spending all our special occasions always around the dinner table at his restaurant um so i guess the power of you know making memories in a restaurant and and hospitality and making you feel welcome was pretty much ingrained in me since i was since i was a young boy um and yeah i think um that's probably the earliest memory that i have but also you know my mother's japanese and my and my father's french so we always used to travel a bit and um dine out at, at many places around the world, and we're fortunate to to, to experience some uh, some a varying degree of experiences, whether it be a small yakitori place in Tokyo or yeah. uh, uh, more upscale places in France. And you know, those were those were always memorable. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's funny that you bring it all the way. That Nick brings it back to uh, sort of early childhood memories, because I also think that. Um, I don't know if I've had like one formative, you know, we, we, we all sort of have friends who are soms who will tell you that it was this one bottle that they drank, <laughs> that they knew that they were going to be yeah. soms from there on in and so on. I think for me, um, I, uh, I had a, a very um, a special person to me in the industry, uh, Jeff Tascarella, who we're fortunate enough is still involved in what we're doing, who's a managing partner of Nomad. Um, uh, works with Make It Nice, who was with Scott Conan's group for a very long time, and I worked for Jeff when I was uh, very young. And Jeff's the the guy that I credit as um, helping me understand that it was possible to build a career in the hospitality industry, not just have a job. Mm. And I think when I when I understood that, it was a very exciting moment because restaurants had always been this really fun place to work, but I'd kind of felt a little bit guilty that I was, you know that it wasn't a serious uh, career path. And um, I, I don't uh, have the same pedigree that Nick does in the industry, but my parents hosted a lot of dinners growing up and they still continue to host a lot of dinners. So the joke is is that 
I was like a little maitre d', you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> and that I just ended up finding someone who would, you know, pay my rent doing it. Right. Um, right. So I've always just been a chatty guy on the floor. I've never really, uh, you know, had any <laughs> skills to offer. Um, and so that was a really exciting moment when Jeff sort of helped me understand that, um, yeah, you can actually sort of uh, build a career in New York City mm-hmm. doing this. It yeah. was kind of very exciting. Yeah. So in-house is now almost three years old. Is that yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Um, and so you've got 60 restaurant partners. How many members? So um, right now we keep this very confidential. Okay. Well, this you is, don't have this, to tell No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, what I will say is that um, we won't be growing above sort of a, a thousand to 1200 members in New York. Got it. And we're not quite up at that yet. Got so it. we've still got some room to grow. Um, but we're fortunate that we've got a, a really fantastic cohort here. Um, and this year we're going to be expanding further into London and San Francisco, which is really exciting hmm. for us and building, cool. building domestic member bases in those cities. And then hopefully, uh, further expansion next year beyond that. Nice. And, and what do you think, like, what does maturity for the platform look like? I mean, if we were to meet up again in 10, 15 years, is this something that is in use, like as a platform, you know, does it? Does it stay in kind of like a higher level dining space? Does it trickle down to like the neighborhood sushi joint that people order seamless from sometimes and go eat in sometimes? So I think um, we see it in-house as a brand and, and as a um, uh, sort of set of values in, in certain different ways. Right now, the focus continues to be around our bookings platform and our events. But we're really excited to sort of... Um, uh, build a brand that can um, stand for things that matter in the industry or things mm. that we care about and can push uh, hospitality forward. And so whether that's through uh, content, whether that is through different partnerships. Um, and so I don't know if necessarily we'll sort of be running a bookings platform with your neighborhood sushi sure. spot. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea that we can be welcoming in a range of different operators and a range of different diners into um, supporting and being engaged in dining culture, broader yeah. dining culture. You know, we don't only eat at fine dining restaurants. Of course, yeah. And quite frankly, as you mentioned, you know, we actually prefer to eat in sort of more approachable places. One of the things at the heart of in-house is that we don't really work with too many fine dining restaurants because I think if you get off a plane and you land in New York, as much as EMP and Per Se and, and the Burner Down doing fantastic things, it's probably not the first place you're going to go. You're probably more excited to go to Lilia or Pasquale Jones, right? Yeah. And so um, we're excited to sort of be championing what, what those sort of slightly more contemporary dynamic teams are doing in major cities. Mm-hmm. And we want to extend that both ways. So, yeah, mm-hmm. sure, we'd love to incorporate some more fine dining and we'd love to incorporate some more local. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah. But our goal is just to um, help promote and, and champion and be a resource for sure. connecting teams in different cities. And I think we, if we do that correctly, we hope that, you know, the values of in-house become aspirational towards a restaurant team. Yeah. Um, we hope that, you know, your neighborhood sushi joint aspires to run service or run the restaurant like another in-house restaurant. Yeah. You know, we joke all the time that, you know, hopefully in a few years there are going to be restaurants that have an in-house logo at the door. 
um, and that's going to stand for something for both restaurants and consumers. Oh, neat. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think that I think there's a real possibility. I mean, we certainly exist now in a time where restaurants are, you know, in other places, right? I mean, you know, pick. I mean, I grew up in Westchester County, New York, and you know, I remember we were regulars at a sushi place, mm-hmm. right. and we would go in, and they knew us, and right. you know, the Park family ran it. Yeah. It was a Korean family, but the chef was Japanese, and we would sit down, and the chef would always have little, you know, trinkets, mm-hmm. give my brother and I trinkets and whatever, and and they knew us, and that yeah. felt really special yeah. at the time. And, you know, now more than ever, restaurants in places like that outside of these major metropolitan, I guess, dining cities, right, like New York or San Francisco or London, they're looking to these restaurants. It's not like they don't know about The Nomad or they don't know about Per Se or they don't know about, you know, I interviewed the chef from Robin in San Francisco recently on the show. You know, places are able to read about those things and see about them and hear about what they're doing. And there's no reason that can't just, you know, it shouldn't just be about the food. It can also be a right. Hospitality. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any concerns about the platform and the costs associated with it? I mean, is there like, is there a way, or have you thought about um, offering, you know, like scholarships, like people who are in college, you know, who might not might have interest in this and might be looking even for a career in this, but they can't afford the dues. So, um, yes, absolutely. Um, again, uh, as I think I mentioned earlier, um, uh, we hate the idea of being a tool, sort of elitist or um, sure. or uh, out of grasp. Um, we're also sort of bound by the fact that we're restricted in how big we can grow and we have a responsibility to run a business. Of course. And so these uh, yeah. things come together as well. Yeah. Um, Costs are not negligible yeah, exactly. when you're operating a business in the exactly. city. But, um, but there are sort of two ways that we've been thinking about that currently and there's a few ways in which we're thinking about that moving forward so the first is um if you're if you're in management either in the kitchen or in the dining room at any one of our restaurant partners you're immediately an honorary member of the program oh that's so we love being able to help sous chefs or maitre d's or floor managers or gms explore different restaurants and connect them and invite them to events and so on Mm -hmm. so that's always been very important to us um secondly we have a um a, a, a tier of membership that we call the cultural ambassador membership, which is our way of sort of extending and involving uh, people from the arts or from creative industries who might not have sort of the same means, but we want to keep a, a diverse membership base. It was very important to us, you know, when we first started out, we said, we don't want this to just be white guys in suits, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. and so, and, and I think we've, um, it's been a really intentional part of the program. And I think we've we've managed to sort of hold a good diversity there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then moving forward, you know, as I said, today we're sort of defined a little bit more by this bookings platform and by this membership. But as we do try to open up some events, as we do try to open up some of our content, um, we're excited for that to be sort of available to the public. So for example, um, we've started hosting a few events that we do open up to the public. So we brought out one of the teams that we work with in London, the Barbary, Mm. for a two-night pop-up at Fedora early in the year. Later in the year, we're going to be bringing out another fantastic team from London as well. And while our members have first uh, access to tickets for the event, we've opened that up to the public. And we've made sure to keep that uh, absolutely affordable. And it's our way of involving a broader audience. So I love the idea that even if you know membership might be a little bit out of reach, you might be able to come to some of our events or yeah. follow some of our content and, and find other ways of getting involved. 
Awesome. Well, I encourage everybody to check out inhousenewyork.com and can follow you guys on Instagram. It's at inhousenewyork. Correct. 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 Uh, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Benji and Nick, for joining me today on Feast Your Ears. Thanks so much for thank having you. us. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or just on the Internet. Please take a moment to rate and review the show and reach out to me if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.